0: Good morning. I'm Vicki. Good to see you guys here this morning. This morning we are um, wrapping up our series in Colossians and um, I get to um, bring us together in that. Um, I was, as I was thinking about um, this passage, there was a story that kind of came up for me. I was 19 and going to Amsterdam with my family and um, You know my my parents like to travel um with a tour guide and like in a tour bus and all of that right so we were going to central europe and i was 19 we were all together and um the first night we got in um uh, we went to bed and i got up super early in the morning because you know jet lag and um i was starving and i smelled chocolate croissants (laughs) and nobody else was up we were all sharing a room and I was like, I think I'm just going to go. The sun was just starting to come out. And I was like, I'm going to look for chocolate croissants. And then I'll be back before anybody knows it. And you know, whatever, right? And so I had never explored Amsterdam, never been in the city before. And I start going out, and I'm trying to follow my nose, trying to find the chocolate croissant. This is very me, right? Like, I want a chocolate croissant, so I'm going to go look for one. Um, And um, there's this guy from Amsterdam that's like notices like that I'm walking around aimlessly like looking lost. And so he's like, Oh, can I help you? And I was like, Oh, I'm just looking for a chocolate croissant. Like, I, you know, like, I feel like there's I smell something out here. Um, and, you know, is there a bakery nearby? And he's like, actually, there's some of the best chocolate croissants, um, right by my apartment right around the corner. And I was like, oh, no, no, like, I don't, you know, need to go anywhere. Just I'm just looking around here. It's like, it's really close by. And I was like, no, it's okay. When we start talking. We start having this conversation. And somehow it gets to the place where um, he starts sharing about how he's been starting to read the Bible and that he has all these questions about God, right? And I was like, let's talk about that. Like, I'd love to talk about god and and some of your questions and so we're talking about the bible and he's like you know like let's do you mind if we just go to the bakery and sit down and have this conversation because we're like standing on the side of the road and stuff and i was like no really like you know i i I, you know my family i'm here with my family and i can't really go far and he's like i promise you it's right around the corner it's not far so i was like are you sure and then so like we start walking and then he's like you know the tram would be faster and so he pulls me onto the tram and i'm like on this tram and now moving quite far and quickly away from this hotel that i don't really remember where it is and i'm trying to like have a conversation with him about god and the bible and i'm trying to keep track of all these streets that i do not know and they're all like in you know like this language that i do not understand and i'm like i need to get back the sun has now fully risen and i am nobody knows where i am everybody was asleep when i was gone and i'm going to this guy's <laughs> apartment um so at some point I realized like I was foolish, right? Like I made some bad calls. Like I shouldn't have gone on the tram with him. He kind of pulled me on. And so I was like, "No, really, I need to get off the tram. Like I, you know, like I cannot come with you to your perfect bakery with good croissants. I need to get back." And so I was like, "But you know what? Like I hope you figure out some answers about God." And I jumped off the tram. I ran all the way back. And as I finally find my way back to the hotel, the, the tour bus is in the front. Everybody's on the bus. My parents are standing there talking to the tour, um, like the tour director and looking very concerned. And my sister sees me, and she's just glaring at me. And she's like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing? What did you think you were doing? I was in so much trouble. My parents were about to call the cops. Um, and they had no idea where I was, which understandably, right, like, that's ter- ter- that's terrifying, right? Um, and I was like, I'm sorry, I was looking for chocolate croissants, I got lost, you know, I didn't tell them about, like, how stupid I was, like, following some random guy, and and then it was forgotten, but... From that point on, I promise you I never wander off with some random stranger to find chocolate croissants. But it was this moment of like, oh, like here's this stranger, and we get into a conversation about God. And how do I, you know, like maximize my time with this person? And 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 also it was about the chocolate croissant. But I wanted to I wanted to share that because this morning. Um, we get to see how the letter of the Colossians ends, right? And, And what Paul invites the Colossians to do. And I always love looking at the end of a letter or the end of a book or the end of, you know, like a message or whatever, because it is there that you see what is the thing that is most important that Paul wants the reader to understand. What is it the thing that like he wants to leave that taste in their mouths or that, that fire in the hearts that he wants to close this letter with? And so that's what we get to sit in this morning. Now, just a little context, if you're new here with us, is that Paul is in prison writing to the Colossian church. He's writing to a church that he has actually not met before, but he's heard reports about from his friend Epaphras, and he gets to hear all the incredible encouraging things that's happening in this church this multi ethnic church in a society that is very monolithic that is very separated by race and status and um, gender right like in all these different ways they're trying to bring together all these different separations into one church and as as chaotic and messy as you would imagine it to be it is also really beautiful and it is so much of the kingdom in that church and and Epaphras goes Goes to Paul and he boasts of this church and of all the incredible things that God is doing but he also says and here are some challenges that we're facing and so Paul has great affection for this church and like a father he writes this letter to the Colossians saying hey I'm so encouraged this is awesome what an incredible thing that God is doing in your midst and here are some of the things that I really want to warn you about and be careful of these things. And so the letter is meant to be read as a whole congregation because most people couldn't read in those days. And so the letter would be read out loud to an entire group of people. It was never meant to be read individually. And also, as much as he's guiding them as a father, he's also part of that community, right? Like, Joel last week talked about mutual relationships and how to have Christ-centered relationships, like between a wife and husband, between kids and. Parents right like between slaves and owners right like and and employees and employers and the idea that there has to be this mutual care and affection for one another and what that looks like and Similarly with Paul even though we see him as this figurehead in a lot of ways there's this he expects and desires this mutual support and affection and care with the churches that he guides now in that day it was hard to be a christ follower not that it's not hard to be a christ follower today right but paul was very aware of the countercultural kingdom that jesus invited his followers to that the last shall be first of all right that you would seek first god's kingdom and all the other things will come with it the idea of loving your enemies right like and caring for them the idea of lifting up women and Gentiles in the society that put them first, treating slaves as family, right? Their world was very hierarchical, and the least and the last were worthless and cast aside so that the ones that were on top stayed on top. And the Christians were living so counterculturally that they had both Gentiles and Jews, women and men, whole families taking care of one another, learning from one another, sacrificing for one another. It was one of the greatest testimonies to the work of God that everybody was able to see, right? And we know that there were lots of women and the poor that chose to follow Jesus because of this new way of life that elevated them and protected them instead of casting them aside. What an attractive good news that they could say yes to, right? And Paul was very aware that there was a lot of intrigue around Christianity but a lot of misunderstandings and assumptions, right? And he was very aware of the pushback that you would get for living cross-culturally. He was in prison for it, right? He had watched other friends and leaders jailed, tortured, and killed for it. And yet, all through Colossians, he says to his people, it is worth it. It is worth it to live cross-culturally. It is worth it to live the way of Jesus. And so now we come to the end of this letter. And so join me in Colossians four, two through six. We're going to start there. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, we're gonna stop there for a moment. He calls us to pray steadfastly, right? Unwaveringly, with determination, firm, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now there are a number of things in this posture of prayer. First, it is clear that he understands that our natural posture is to forget to pray. Like, he's not like, I know since we're all great at praying, like, let's continue in it. You know, he's like, actually, we need to be steadfast about it because that's not our natural bent towards prayer. We like to just take it and say, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to fix it? Who are we going to call? Like, who are we going to, like, complain to about this, right? We're going to be sporadic in our prayer. We're going to forget to pray. We're just going to be like, what should I even be praying here? It's too hard to pray, right? it's hard to pray, but even with prayer and paying attention, right? It says, with Thanksgiving, then NASB version says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of Thanksgiving. You guys, prayer is hard, but life is harder. Paul is very clear that our nature is to just take care of ourselves and those that we love. To do what we feel like doing because it feels good, and pushing other people down so that we can be right. It is our nature to not pray and ask for help and be devoted in it. And so he reminds his beloved community to a counterculture, counter nature discipline because God is the one that is gonna do the big work. It is an invitation for us to surrender what was not in our control anyway. He is the one that will heal relationships and our broken hearts. He is the one who will redeem all that is lost and unloved and bring wholeness. Isn't life hard enough that, that we would continue to spin and spiral to struggle and fix and sometimes make it worse? Let's just be real, when I sit in something and I try and fix it, half the time it actually just gets worse, right? And it is at the point where we just look at the world around us, and we look at our own world and our own lives, and our inner turmoil, and we look and say, we can surrender it, and we can be devoted in prayer to it, or we can try and fix it, and we can try and, you know, like force it into something that it is not. You know, like when we look at the rest of Colossians and the things that Paul invites his people into, these are, I don't think any of us would say like, yeah, that's a bad thing. Right? Like, these are all good things, but to do them, impossible, right? To not aggravate your children, <laughs> impossible, right? Like, to not to, to learn to submit to another person and trust them, even if you're like, I just want to get my word in here and be heard, impossible. It is so hard to do it Jesus way. It is so hard to, to, to fight our own nature and do the thing that is called for upon us to do the countercultural way. And yet, we're invited into it. And I feel like the only way we can do it that Paul calls us to do is be devoted to prayer, because the Lord knows we need his help in it. He's the only person that can make something come to life that we cannot bring to life on our own. What are the new things that we might have to set into place this year and in the coming year to elevate prayer as the priority of the day? Then he asks for prayer for himself, for his friends who accompany him in prison so that he may have opportunity to share the good news and share Jesus in a way that makes sense, right? Now he's been in prison because he's been sharing the good news and yet he's like, hey guys, pray for me. I want more opportunities to share good news. It's like you know if you were the friend that was trying to protect paul from more suffering you might say dude chill out on sharing good news okay chill out on talking about jesus because you're getting yourself like into big trouble and you're gonna suffer more for this and yet he is focused on why he's there he's focused on his mission and so are his friends and he's saying this is why i'm here i'm here to share about Jesus. And I wanna make him really clear to people. I don't wanna speak in run-on sentences and use words that don't make sense, right? Um, and he's, he calls them to the same, right? He says, hey guys, have wisdom around outsiders make the best use of your time and by the way when he talks about outsiders here that is not a term that is derogatory they are actually the minority they're actually the ones that are seen as outsiders here right but what they just mean here is that people outside of the church that's what they're considering as outsiders and there are a lot of assumptions and misunderstandings about Christians back then Nothing that we don't experience now, right? Like we have, we face a lot of assumptions and misunderstandings about being a Christian today. And then it's it's kind of like uh, a little, you know, like um, cringy to have to say sometimes that you're a Christian because you know the baggage that comes with that, right? But they could, but people could see, oh man, your community. And what you're about the ways that you include and expand the idea of family and community beyond racial lines and personal status that is attractive that is beautiful that's something that we do not see anywhere else in our world but i don't know about this jesus i heard that you guys like sacrifice animals you know like there were just assumptions and misunderstandings about what they believed so even if it was attractive they just didn't know very much and they were curious but they might not ask the questions right i remember meeting this guy i was selling my bar stools on craigslist and i uh, met this guy he came to the door we were talking he was from san francisco which is where i'm from too and we were talking about that for a little bit at some point we started talking about god um and about how he was like uh there's some people in my family that um, in my extended family that we get together once a year, and they talk about God and their church, and I just thought, I never want to be a part of that. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a religious person, and there are so many things that you can't do when you're part of a church, when you are a Christian. There's so many things that are like don'ts, and it's so conservative, and and I I was sharing with him that like um, there are women that preach at our church, and he's like, that is not a church that i've ever heard of i didn't know christians did that right that sounds like one of the don'ts right and and that's part of the reason why i just thought i don't really want to be a part of this thing if it if there's a lot of like rules and regulations of all these things that you shouldn't do that there isn't space for women to be heard and other people and other people ethnicities to be heard he was having a very small Um, picture of what he experienced of Christianity, right? And I'm sure that there was more to the story than what his family was even sharing, but he had this small picture. And in this moment, he got to say, oh, I had these assumptions about God that he didn't care about those voices. And actually, it's really helpful to see something new. And I, I, I that is really intriguing to me. That is really interesting to me, right? I wonder How many people around us have a misunderstanding about God and about Christianity simply because of bad PR, but also about different things that they've seen and heard that they're like, well, I don't want to be a part of that, right? Lest we be afraid of evangelism as a dirty word that is forceful and hostile. Paul says here, always be gracious, seasoned with salt. It is not about winning or about being right, right? It is about grace and wisdom. And I wonder how our reputation as Christians might change if we led with that over being right or being heard. We do not have to be scrawly around truth and what we believe. But I just wonder, when Paul is sitting there with his jailers, how long and how many questions he might have asked his jailers about their lives and their families and how to care and build relationship with them before he declared the mysteries of christ to them and when he's asking hey can you pray for a door to be open what was he looking for right do we know what that door looks like when it opens for us to share i wonder how he shared with graciousness and not judgment right and what does he mean by seasoned with salt Right? Salt is mentioned a number of times in the New Testament um, in terms of having salt in us, right, not losing our saltiness. But one of the interpretations for salt is for taste. It is precious and it makes everything taste better. Right, I love salt. I carry a little bin of salt with me, Jacobson salt. I know I'm not the only one. Right, It doesn't just make things saltier. Adding salt to stuff, it makes the subject more itself, right? So if you added a pinch of salt to hot chocolate, it enhances and brings out the flavor of chocolatiness to it. All right, this season, try it out. You don't just add salt to baked goods because you want it to be salty and savory. No, you add salt to it to make it more multidimensional. You want it to be more delicious. Not more salty. Otherwise, it becomes this really flat sweetness, right? You want it to be multi dimensional. How we speak about Jesus and our faith can either be really boring or it can be tasty. It can be multi dimensional, right? That people will hear you talk about your relationship with God and, and your experience of community and, and, and what you know of scripture, and you, they'd be like, oh, that's tasty. I want more of that. That's delicious, right? I had no idea that it was so multifaceted and multidimensional. Taste and see that the Lord is good, it says in Isaiah, right? How do we foster curiosity over answers? How do we ask more questions than give talking more? Certainly, he was paying attention and praying and making use of his time, right? And Paying attention and saying, I'm here for a reason, so I'm going to make use of my time. Who has God placed in our lives, in our circles of connection that might be wondering or curious? How do we use our time with intention? Let's keep reading. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Now, these are the times where we just skip over them, right? When you ever have a big list of names, you're like, la-la, 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 right? Like, same with the genealogies. Yep, 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 bunch of names I can't pronounce. Let's skip over that to the good stuff. But here, I want us to sit for a moment. He mentions 10 different individuals by name, right? Paul had an eclectic bunch of close friends here. Including a doctor, Luke, a pastor, Epaphras, a fugitive, Onesimus, you read about him in the letter of Philemon, a woman, Nympha, and from different cultural backgrounds, Jewish, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justus, and Gentile, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, right? He also mentions two cities and churches there, Laodicea and Herapolis, Herapolis right, that are close to them, and he calls them to get together with the church of Laodicea in exchange of letters. And to Archippus, why does he not write a personal letter? As I'm sure that Paul did from time to time. What was the benefit of asking the Colossians to speak on behalf of Paul, a personal encouragement to this pastor? I think about it and I wonder what does Paul lack? What does Paul lack? in him sitting in prison and writing this letter. Why does he include all these people? And why does he give the Colossians these instructions? I believe that what he misses out on is presence, right? I think he would love to be there in person to say these things to the Colossian church. I think that he would love to have knocked on Archippus' door, who was probably feeling a bit discouraged in these hard times of leading these hard times of being a Christian in this really hostile environment that were hunting down their leaders and persecuting them and throwing them in prison, that Paul would've loved to knock on his door and say, hey, cheer up, buddy, it's worth it. It's gonna be okay. He says, I can't do that. Colossians, would you do it for me? Because a letter is not gonna be enough. Would you knock on his door for me? Would he hear it from you guys instead? Because here's what happens when things get hard. We tend to isolate ourselves, don't we? I know I do, right? When things get hard, I just withdraw. I stop responding to texts and emails. I just, you know, I need time to myself and I just spiral all on my own into the darkness. We draw in, we feel like no one else gets it. No one else deals with this like I do, right? I'm just gonna sit in here on my own. But Paul does a big old shout out of 10 people who are in the trenches with him, who without them, he would be isolated and depressed. But he isn't. He has circles of connection, a web of friends that get it, that has the same purpose, same heart, and same struggles. And somehow it makes it a lot less lonely, right? And to the Colossians, he says, yeah, it's hard right? Sometimes it feels like following Jesus is too hard and not worth it, but you are not alone. Not only are you not alone in your church, but you are not alone in these huge circles of connection. We've got our 10 friends here that say, hey, say hi to them for me, right? But then also to these other churches, hey, go hang out with them, go visit them, read their letter that I sent to them, and you give them the letter that I sent to you. Switch Go visit them, encourage them, share your struggles, because they get it, right? Like they're facing it too. And these guys that are with me, they get it. You are not alone in this. Do not withdraw, do not just go off on your own, right? And to this one pastor, bring what I cannot bring, my presence, and speak my words of encouragement to him. He needs to hear it from you guys. We are surrounded, though we are few, right? And when we are here and when we get together, I hope you feel a relief and a connection that you're like, you get it, right? You get the struggle of how to discipline your kids and still love them with grace and the struggle of that and knowing that we're not perfect, right? You get the tension of grief and joy when we lose a friend to cancer and how I can be raw and broken and yet still have hope. You get the awkwardness of how to sit and be misunderstood as a Christian with all its bad PR and still declare that you are a Christian. You get it, right? I hope that you feel like, ah, oh, I, I, there are people around me that get it. And most of the time, I walk out there and I'm like, man, I'm like an alien, <laughs> Like No one understands what it is that I do and, and, and what my life is like and the struggles that I have tension with. But I can I, I know that there are people who understand that. And I also know that there's some of you who don't you who come to the church and you feel like, I feel like a black sheep here. I don't feel like people get me. I feel like I stand out, right? Like, and I don't fit. And in its imperfection and it's clickiness. I think sometimes the church has caused more loneliness and pain. And I'm if that is you, I am so sorry for that. That was never God's intention for his church and his community. And I really hope that this place or whatever place that you choose to call home in the church place is is going to be a place of healing and restoration and a place where you feel like people get me here. And I'm known here. But any place that has human beings is going to be broken. That's not an excuse. But that is a reality right? And I just pray that we would, we would experience the redemption of God's healing as a body, but also as individuals when we come into this place. Now, God has created us to do hard things, amen? But we don't have to do it alone, and we certainly cannot figure it out on our own without prayer. I always think about that guy in Amsterdam, And my lack of wisdom but I also think about how many people were praying for him before I met him. His circles of connection the people that were like God pray I'm praying for an open door with this guy that somebody would talk to him and maybe it wasn't supposed to be me maybe it was I don't know right but I was like I'm just gonna make use of this moment and thank God that people were praying for him and I wonder I always wonder like what happened to that guy did he talk to some other people? Did he, did he go deeper into the Bible? Did he get some of his questions answered? I wonder, right? I prayed for that guy. I wonder about that guy with the bar stools. I wonder, right? Like, what, what conversations did he have after that with his family, right? What did he go and choose to explore on his own? I wonder. Right? Who are the people that we are praying for and hoping for? And who do we get to have conversations with? And who do we, who, who do we just get to pray for and other people get to have conversations with them? There's one final thing um, I was reading about this African proverb. It says this, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that in our society where we prize efficiency, and productivity, it is really easy to go alone. Boy, it is chaotic and messy and time consuming to do it with other people. Oh, what time should we meet? Where should we go? I mean, just finding a place for lunch after church already takes 45 minutes, right? Like, It is so time consuming to go with other people, right? And so we just do it alone because it's just faster that way. And sometimes it's better that way. But if we want to go far, and we are traveling far, my friends, right? We've got our whole lives ahead of us. We, we gotta go far and we gotta go long. It's not gonna work just based on efficiency and productivity. We need people around us. We need our circles of connection. We need God to carry us in our journey. We are, if we wanna go far, we gotta go together. And so my prayer for us is that we would be inviting people into our lives right in authenticity in vulnerability in the ways that we need help man i i hope that we would ask one another hey i need your help right now i need you to help me with my kids can you watch them you know um i i need help praying for my marriage right now can you pray with me I need help with my parents who are aging and in a stage that we are trying to figure out how to care for them. Would you pray for me? Or actually could you bring me some meals because I'm going back and forth between my aging parent and my family who is not being fed right now. Can you bring me some meals? I hope we feel like, man, for me to go far here, I need help. I need people to kind of step into my life and help. And i hope that we would be the kind of community and the kind of people that would be able to do that so let me pray for us and um, we get to come to the table together as a community and surrender to god and say god i need your help and i'm part of this community that needs you to redeem us and heal us so would you make us that place father god we thank you for this table this morning it is a reminder that we are not able to do this on our own, that we need your help. We need you to do the things that we are not able to do to bring the healing, to bring the forgiveness, to bring the um, courage that we need to be able to step forward and do it your way. And God, we also just pray that we would be a community that would make Jesus known, that we would be praying for opportunities to um, dispel the assumptions and misunderstandings about you and about church and about what it means to follow you. And God, I, yeah, I I pray that we would find a different way, that we would make you tasty, that we would show how delicious and how, how it it is to follow you. Then maybe we want to discover that way ourselves that we long for a really tasty gospel and we haven't experienced that yet. So, God, for those who are longing for a more multi-dimensional faith, God, I pray for that. Would you show yourself as multidimensional and delicious to us? As we come to the table this morning, God, thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for this countercultural way as the servant king, that you came and laid down your life so that we may have life. That in all the other kings and emperors and leaders and rulers, that they elevated themselves and, and dis, dis, discard people, but you are not that king and that is not your kingdom, that you elevate us and you love us and you serve us. And so God, thank you that we have access to this table that you invite us to way we taste and see that you are good pray this in your name amen